The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 136 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined today by our founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Chris. Good to be with you again. Yeah, here we are. And uh, following on from last week's episode, 135, and uh, we revisited the debits process. So six ways to reduce your outgoings. And we added a slight twist. So we uh, we changed the S, which had previously been uh, support costs, to stock market fees and uh, had some good feedback on that this week. And quite right too. You know, I think we were quite uh, appropriately judging the stock market piece. It was interesting because I, I was reading an article actually, you know, quite opposite just this week, which said institutional investors, in other words, people like me, people who are fund managers and so on, um, you know, they pay so little for their access to the market and that the retail investor, uh, usually our listeners, are paying 300%, three times more than the institutional investor. Why? Because they can. Why? Because it pays for marketing. And it pays for excessive profits. That's not right. And, um, you know, 95% of the IFA population take their final salary pensions if they've got them and they use them for themselves. Uh, but only 5% uh, do they recommend other people move. So feels a little bit like what's going on in the UK government right now. One rule for you and one rule for me. And um, while I'd rarely get political, I'm not going to comment about parties in Downing Street, I am saying, though, that there needs to be a change to how retail customers are are downtrodden in terms of their fees. And I'm so pleased that we are the disruptor in the middle trying to do something about that. And we're going to focus on that in this year. And by the way, talking about disruptors in the middle, we've got a brilliant guest today who I think calls himself Higgy in the middle more about what Higgy actually means, a little bit of new language for us all. And as we're wealth builders here by nature, we recognize that there's always a bit of new language to learn, Chris, isn't there? There's always something new to learn and you're in for a treat today because you're going to learn a bunch. That's it. Yes. Well, we uh, you should be familiar if you've been listening to the podcast for a, a while now that we've got our recurring revenue roadmap. That's our process that helps our members move from a place of financial insecurity through to financial independence. And of course, uh, a key part of that is understanding the seven pillars of wealth, seven different asset classes that you can use to generate recurring income in your life every month. And um, today we're really focused around pillar number four, which is the property portfolio pillar. Or are we? Uh, yes. Although our guest actually uh, comes from a, a business background, pillar five. And uh, interesting, as we'll hear from Mr. Luke Spikes today, the uh, founder of Higgy House, how he's taken those 35 plus years of business experience and pivoted really into the property uh, world and, and very successfully too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, listen out for all the lessons that Luke just dispenses in a, a rapid uh, style. I mean, it's almost if you want to hear an entrepreneur in action, if you want to feel and hear the cogs literally turning and you can hear the click, 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 click of the brain making distinctions and differences to to do better for his customers and better for him, his investors and better for himself. I've never think, I don't think I've heard a better example 
of that entrepreneurism in action than the interview you did with uh, with Luke. And I've got to say, Chris, you did an outstanding job pulling out those lessons. So well done you. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's uh, not wait around any longer. Let's head on over to our conversation with Mr. Luke Spikes. Luke, welcome to Wealth Talk today. Well, Christian, it's a delight to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, you're very welcome, Luke. And uh, today we're talking about, you know, reinventing retail and, and how you're driving value from marginal retail space that succumbed to the juggernaut that is online shopping. So looking forward to hearing about that. But before we do that, would you mind just introducing yourself for our listeners who perhaps have not, not come across you before? No, happy to. And I, I think the thing that I usually preface, pre- preface any introduction with is I'm not a property person. And that, that might sound a bit un- unusual when you're actually spending another half an hour talking about property. But but uh, the reality is, I, I think from where I come has given me a distinct advantage. I am a business person. This is startup number seven. I'm in 35 years building businesses from the ground up. But the first six businesses were all technology businesses. And therefore, you're about as unconnected to the world of property as it's, as it's likely to or possible to get and uh, very different characteristics as the way you operate in those environments but what i learned as i ended up in the world of property that was all of the lessons many about the vast majority of the things i learned were equally applicable if what you did was to focus on property as a market where there were customers and those customers had needs and if you could deliver against those needs better faster more effectively the competing alternatives you'd make progress in other words that's what you do in business. So, so although I am not from property, uh, I do think being not from property is an advantage because we look at the market and the world of property very differently from most. And um, I mean, it was only really a, a, a few years back, 2017, I believe, that you kind of entered the world of property. And um, you know, what was it that, that made you decide at that point that was the right time for you? Uh, accident. Genuinely an accident. And, and um, uh, yes, it is. Rel- we are relatively young. And I think um, Higgy House is one of those brands because we put a lot of effort into building a brand um, and, and creating awareness in and around what we were doing. A lot of people assume we've been around forever. Well, well actually, we haven't. What we've accomplished is uh, has been accomplished in a relatively short order. Uh, I, uh, I found myself in the world of property by accident because I had a property that I didn't know what to do with. Um, like a lot of, uh, of, of folk, you know, kids, old the children grown up left home uh, bigger house than you need what you know question mark what do we do with this and i had just sold my business i was now working for a large my last business i was working for a large corporation now i collected some cash so i was sort of sitting there and on the one hand i had this asset this property that's the family home that we'd owned for quite some while that was too big for our needs on the other hand i had some capital some cash thinking well what do i do next once i have done my earn out with this large corporation uh, um, speaking to my uh, wife she she what didn't want me to do anything at all because she was fed up with the whole world of startups and and all the pain that that brings with it not just for you but for everyone in a, else in and around and i and i uh, said oh i know what i'll do i'll just buy some books and otherwise my natural instinct is to is to intellectually curious get to know something about property so i bought some books and one of those was uh, simon Zucci's book property magic um picked it up didn't put it down and thought wow there's some really interesting ideas in there that uh, have have got have started my brain uh, sparking on on what i might do and i in parallel with that i had conversations with my children about how difficult it was for them as young adults young professionals young adults making their way in the world to find 
good quality accommodation that met their needs as they perceived their needs to be today. And classic entrepreneur going, hang on a minute. There's loads of properties. There's loads. I hear this all the time. There's loads of properties. There's loads of landlords. How come you can't find what you say you want and need? What is it you want to need? So I spent time then um, listening to them about uh, what they felt they needed. And, you know, a bit of scratching around. It's clear that there was a gap in the market, let's call it that. Um, and uh, and so, so Higgy House was effectively born out of that uh, mix of things. And the next thing I know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking for uh, more education. Um, I go on to uh, Simon's website, having looked at the book, and there's an accelerator. I'm on the accelerator and halfway through the accelerator, which is a three-day course. Um, I, uh, I put my hand in the air. I said, this is intriguing enough and exciting enough, and I can see opportunity. I'm going to sign up for the 12-month program. Um, and get myself educated. So at least I, because whilst I know how to build businesses, um, uh, execute at scale, international, all that sort of good stuff, knew nothing about property, the technicalities of property. In fact, that's where I met uh, Kevin, of course. So so I went on the program, and I begin to learn all of these things, and uh, and uh, up popped wealth builders, um, and starting to talk about how I could use my SaaS more creatively. And I at that point, I hadn't even imagined I could use it because I was one of those sort of fairly typical entrepreneurs, I think, who who look at pensions as a bit of a, well, a bit of a pain in the ass, a bit of a ball. It's like, well, what am I going to do with this? I'm not sure I know what to do with this. And uh, actually, it was Kevin then and the conversations I had with wealth builders effectively helped unlock that as a as a as an asset that I now have been able to deploy that in the business, which has accelerated the the, the growth of Higgy, Higgy, Higgy House from that point. So that's that's the long winded answer to your very simple, apparently, question as to how I got started in property. Well, no, it's very interesting, and, and love to hear more about how you've used your SaaS uh, as we as we progress. Um, so I guess coming to the name then. So obviously, you know, it's a very um, unique name. And um, Higgy House. So uh, perhaps just spell it out for those that don't know, Luke, and, and tell us what's the origins of the name. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's um, having a having an having a memorable name is an important part of you know, any business building, any brand, in my opinion. You know, if you truly are going to create something um, that has uh, and occupies a position on on a, on everyone's mental shelf, then you've got to put a bit of effort into that name. You can't just have some long random name of words, uh, a list of words that, as, as your name. So these days, it's not about whether your the limited company is available; it's whether the URL is available, right? So, so, um, so I have a little uh, science, I suppose, but on how when I'm starting to look for a new name for a business or a product or or, or a brand, uh, which is to try and find short memorable names on uh, the uh, the internet. Now, you have to be creative. Like, and so what I was doing was I combined two languages together to create a unique word that has never existed in the hope that no one else has spotted it so that when I type it into GoDaddy, it would be available. I mean, that's as simple as where I started. And so I started down the path of, of taking, I don't know, the finish for comfortable and the uh, and the Urdu for house, stitch them together and see if I had a had a word. Type it into type it into uh, into GoDaddy and if the .com and everything was available, like, oh, that's a candidate. And in a list of 50, um, 50 of them, all of which were not quite right. And then one day I was uh, I was going, oh, Huga. So so if you're familiar with the Danish term uh, Huga, which is spelled H-Y-G-G-E, effective, there's no real literal translation in English, but it, it broadly means comfortable. So it's describing the environment um, as being a comfortable, warm, safe place. Think of it like that. Like, well, Huga and house, 
well, Higgy would be how we would present it in England. Let's misspell it. Like Higgy in the middle, Piggy in the middle. So I went Higgy, H-I-G-G-I. House, let's try and make it feel a bit continental European. Uh, Let's throw in the German for house, H-A-U-S, not H-O-U-S-E. Stuck it together, typed it into Google, available. I went Higgy. And I just remember shouting through to to Delith, who was in the other room. Higgy house, she said. That's the one. And I just, yep, yeah, and immediately purchased all of the URLs, all of the dot coms, the dot nets, all the various variants. Uh, uh, and, uh, and Higgy House was born. Um, and, you know, so it's proven, you know, it is memorable. People do know it. It does actually have meaning. So, so Higgy, Huga, and House, I mean, it has, has appropriate context in the name. So I think we were a bit lucky. But we went through a systematic process that arrived at the end result, and that was the end result. Yeah, and and of course your your properties have a, a very unique look and feel, Luke. And um, you know, I know our focus today conversation is is really where you're moving towards now, which is reinventing retail. But I think really good to understand what the foundations of the business are. And you know, for someone who who doesn't know what a Higgy House property looks like how can you best describe that but 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 i think wherever we're going and wherever we've been they're all connected so so it is a good point so the aesthetic let's let's describe it as that the way the higgy house looks has been very carefully uh contrived in fact contrives the wrong word uh, considered um uh and it started out with um a brief for our thinking that that said new york loft uh, meets danish with a dash of Tokyo for uh, for uh, installation and application of small space living, so that's what we started with. And we said, "Oh, well, what does that look like?" And after a after um, you know degree of iteration between myself, my sister, uh, a, a couple of creatives, and one or two other members of the team, we ended up defining the look uh, that has become the Higgy House look, which I would describe as sort of uh, industrial upside called um, uh, quirky, uh, colourful because there's a little bit of colourful, but actually designed around the target market we were seeking to seeking to serve general interest you know something instantly instagrammable for example right so so uh, very cool um uh, deemed stylish by the audience we were seeking to so that's that was the original aesthetic what um we then um, proceeded to do was to define that as systematically as we could in terms of what does that mean in terms of the furniture we put in the place the flooring all the finishes uh went and executed that and then each time we've executed it subsequently we've stuck to the core principles but improved or innovated slightly each time so so if you looked at it today compared to what it was five years ago it is different but it's definitely connected and and as we as we started to think about um our position in the world i went well why why does everyone run about worrying about service accommodation and hms those to me make no difference none, none whatsoever from the customer's perspective it's a place to stay the difference is you stay for one day or one year or longer. So why would they be any different? You know, why would you confuse the customer with, this is service company, this is rent, forget all of that. The focus now is on, on the customer, what the customer sees and perceives. So, so the aesthetic was designed around what we felt would attract our customer, but also at the same time to be sufficiently distinctive. So that if you went walked into one, even if I hadn't told you, you'd know it was a Higgy House. And I think to a lesser or greater extent, we've accomplished that. And, and we will continue with this, by the way. So so it, it just because we are now incorporating um, uh, some uh, new activities and new act- directions into what we're doing does not mean it will suddenly be a completely new look and feel. In fact, quite the reverse. You know, we'll, we're incorporating um, new things in because we think that's the right way to do it. But they are incorporated in, not 
not different. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's interesting because obviously with all of your business background, Luke, and we know that any business really, it needs a, a proof of concept, right? So you need to make sure that what you think is is wanted is is actually wanted by, by the customer. So with that first property, I mean, did you go into that feeling confident? Yes, we've got a product here that we know the market is is, is demanding. Uh, no, <laughs> no, compl- completely the opposite. It was like, well, we've got no idea. Everyone was telling us that we were mad um, because our first property we, was in Swansea and, and uh, Swansea, actually, I love Swansea. It's, a, it's a, a really interesting place, but we were told as we arrived that uh, it was where ambition went to die, I think is what Dylan Thomas said uh, about it or someone said said about it. So, is this really the place to put down um, a high-end, highly specified, community-centric um, new model for for shared living, co-living as we now refer to it? Uh, maybe, maybe not. And all the local landlords and investors are going, you're going to do what? You know, spend a ton of money more than they would spend on 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 a, on a property. So, so actually, we we entered it with with some degree of trepidation that this actually we could be wrong. This might not work. Um, we did it. Um, the rooms were let within. I mean, not within a week um, at record rents, by the way. Um, and we went ah. We were right. You know, there is a thing. And, and you know, that was the first one. Um, we did with our own money, by the way. We did have some investors involved, but, you know, I was effectively underwriting it all, um, taking all the risk, which I felt was the right thing to do. We did the first one. And now, you know, as they, as they say, we, we, we continue to knock them out. And, uh, and the same thing happens every time. I mean, the last, the last one we had... Um, we started the marketing before we before we had finished, which is customary because we've got models and other things from other properties. We sold uh, seven rooms without a single viewing um, uh, four weeks before the building was even finished at record rents again. So you know, so 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 the brand, the history, the aesthetic, and all the things we use to support that are now helping us drive uh, drive the model forward in terms of the income and. And some of the operating metrics as well. Yeah, and no, I'd encourage anyone listening to, to head to the Higgy House website, have a look because you'll see the images straight away, you know, and, and get a really good feeling for what the properties look like. Just don't, just don't copy it. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, we have. Uh, it's, it's amazing how um, you see lots of. So we were one of the first. I think we may even been the first to have uh, uh, used uh, bright colours uh, and paint window reveals. There were a few things that we did that people went, "Oh, that's an unusual way to do it." And now people do that uh, but but I, I would always say i can look at something that's not higgy house you can go into something it's not higgy house just because you paint the windows orange or uh, or use the same scaff headboard as we do doesn't make it higgy house because and an important point just to flesh out a little bit uh, 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 on the question there's an aesthetic but there's also um uh, a couple of other things that are really important how it looks is important how it feels is important and how it feels is not just about the space but it's also about what you do to foster and create community so how you get who you have in the house will make a difference. So how you how you go through the process of recruiting um, your your housemate. We don't call them tenants, by the way, because I think that's abusive. Right. It's tenant landlord somehow sets the wrong tone. It's their housemates. They are customers. They're giving us money each month for a service. We have to deliver that service at a level uh, that meets or exceeds their, their expectations. Very different way of thinking about it. But the community is about who is in the house. But it's also what you do when they're in the house. Um, how you d- and that's partly design as well. So it's not just how it looks. It's also how, how you organize the space makes a big difference. Um, the opportunity to to gather, uh, to bump into one another as a group of, of, of strangers ostensibly when they arrive and they do end up emerging friends. You know, there's no question about it. So there's a layer of service that often gets missed by most investors, which is a little bit of investment of time and effort, but it produces extraordinary returns in terms of the rates people are prepared to pay, um, how quickly you can let the let the units rooms, um, how, uh, how 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 long people stay, um, 
whether you have voids or not, um, your operating costs are lower. There's a whole bunch of real sensible reasons as to why investing a little bit of time and effort into the, let's call it the service layer that sits on top of the asset um, is an important and sensible thing to do. You know, I do get a lot of folk who come to me and say, oh, do, do I really need to spend that much money and that much effort and that much time? The answer is, well, no. But if on the other hand, you want to produce record rents at 50% higher than market average, you want voids of 0%, um, you want to sell every room without a viewing, um, and you want 100% conversion, uh, which is what we effectively got in the last property. If you would like all of those things, yes, do what I'm doing. If you don't want that, then don't do that. It's entirely up to you, you know? And, and how many housemates typically will be in one of the properties, Luke? Well, so they are smaller. Um, they're seven to, well, they're fives, seven, sixes, tens, um, that sort of size. Although I've just agreed terms, despite us going on in a moment to talk about where we're headed, I've just agreed terms on a on a building yesterday, which will be our first 40-bed co-living unit. Okay, so scale is uh, is is uh, is important in terms of financial returns, but also that was always where our ambition was. How do you take a, a, a large commercial building and convert it into a 25, 30, 40, 50 bed, 150 bed um, co-living unit? That's where we're headed. Yeah. I mean, you joked a, a moment ago about not copying, but, um, you know, wealth building is all about collaboration. And, and I understand, you you know, you have an investor program now that enables other yes. people to collaborate with Higgy House. So maybe just let people know a little bit about that, if you don't mind, Luke. No, I'm happy to, because uh, I... So up until now, most of the uh, most of the work that we've done, we've done for our own account um, and um, you know at our own risk. So so although we would borrow money and we would involve investors, it would be very typical arm's length um, uh, term loans and, and those sorts of things. So we're making money for other people, but it was always you come in for you're in for a short period of time. And um, uh, eighteen months or so ago, I started thinking about how we might adjust what we do to more effectively um, uh, involve others. Now I'm um, you know I'm an entrepreneur many years standing. I love working with entrepreneurs as it happens. I accidentally started mentoring, and that was genuinely accidental. And, and I got, gathered a few people who thought I could help them, and then turns out I could. And I really enjoyed that. And effectively, out of that, and the strength of the Higgy House brand, and the fact we've sort of systematized how we go about doing what we do, led me to conclude that the best thing for us to do right now to achieve our goals in terms of numbers and scale was to start effectively collaborating with others. In other words, we, we've done the proving, if you want. Uh, we've got the model. We've got the way we operate. I've got the team. Now what we should do is to grow more quickly towards our 10,000 units in 10 years, by the way. That's the objective. Um, I need to work with other people. And so conceived of a program, which is a sort of business partner, investor partner program, whereby um, not only can you participate in deals that we do, so, so there's an element of joint venture now. So you can participate in deals that we do. We will also help and support um, our partner in building their own portfolio of Higgy House properties too, independent of us. And they can use our services. We might operate them for on their path, depending on what they're wanting to accomplish. So we created this program where if you have capital and you, you're wanting to commit that capital to produce a return and you are interested in Higgy House and our model, then now what you can do is work with uh, with me, the team Higgy, and we have a program where you can sign up for the program. Yes, there's a bit of money involved ourselves because we've got costs that we incur, but you become um, a, a partner of mine. You work with me. Uh, you participate in our deal flow. You, I mentor and support your your towards your you know business ambitions, whatever you want, whatever it is you want to do. 
Um, we even um, will help organise the senior debt, the, so the, the money supplemental to your own in equity investment to help find, fund and finance stuff. Uh, and on and on it goes. So, so I'm sort of looking now for a few we have four already, by the way. So it's, there are some already. Um, we're starting to, to gather a little bit of momentum and, and, and folk starting to join us, looking for just a small number more of individuals who um, are interested in really working with closely with 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 me and the team, um, and then we can you know help you accomplish your own objectives, but at the same time accomplish ours. So it's important to bear in mind that this is a mutually beneficial thing. I've got a big goal that I'd like to accomplish. I'm not going to do that on my own. I need help, support um, and involvement of uh, of others. And this is a way, creative way for us to do that. Yeah, absolutely. No, it sounds fantastic, Luke. So 2020 comes along, we know. <laughs> so how did this affect what you were doing, Luke? And how has that then sort of shifted the course for you in terms of your outlook? Well, our co-living business was fine. In fact, um, uh, we were all a little nervous early on that um, our young professional market would all, you know, disappear home to mum and dad, and we'd have voids and vacancies. It didn't turn out to be that case at all. We put we put a little bit more extra effort into care and support. Um, we put microwaves and all sorts of stuff in, and we did all the things that you know lots of other folk did too, to just to make sure that our customer was looked after, and that helped. So uh, really solid. In fact, we didn't we didn't lose a single um, uh, day's rent um, throughout the entire period on our co-living businesses. The service accommodation business, which is the other business we have, which is in Bristol, based in Bristol, which is um, a mix of one beds, studios, we've got a couple of two beds, uh, some houses, um, uh, was hammered, right, <laughs> as you might reasonably expect. So we had to pivot real hard and real fast early on. Um, all the small stuff, we switched to ASTs, and we just got creative with uh, the, the houses as to how we would serve, support people in the market who were eligible to rent. And there were a few. So uh, we, we uh, uh, we've, in fact, we had at one point for the bulk of lockdown one and possibly even two, maybe into three, um, we had um, a group of guys who were in Bristol uh, 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 repairing big buildings in the wake of Grenfell. They were fire folk, um, 70, a crew of 17 guys that needed housing. Um, all um, deemed um, eligible to continue to work through lockdowns because of the nature of what they were doing. Um, the, the, I met the boss. The boss said, yeah, have you, can you help me with 70? I just so happened to have 17 rooms. So we had uh, all our properties effectively 100% occupied by switching quickly to, right, we'll focus on the contractors. Weekends were a washout, of course. You know, our, trip, our typical leisure guests are gone, wasn't allowed to rent. But um, we were doing well enough with our with our uh, mix of contractors and single lets, just to sort of bumble along and um, you know crash on through, I suppose. And, and yeah, we lost a little bit of money, but we did uh, okay by pivoting that way. What then towards the tail end, as we see, you know, everyone went well. Okay, the world continues on, and we're going to have to deal with it at some point. So we can't just sit there and stop. We uh, continue to deliver our co-living buildings, um, continue to work through, as it were. Uh, you know, we were allowed. We had to adjust the way we did it, of course. But we were looking for, for more purchases. And what I found was um, it was becoming increasingly difficult to purchase the uh, type of asset that we had been purchasing because there were lots of people. I don't know whether they'd seen a video somewhere about you can buy a house for a pound and HMO is a thing to buy. But but um, prices just went silly. I mean, people were paying way too much money. Um, and we're very financially disciplined. So, so of course, if someone's going to bid the price up to beyond what that asset is worth, and I'm not going to make the returns I would need to make, I'm just not. I'm just not going to chase it. So, that was that was happening too often. 
for us to really um, achieve our longer-term ambition. I couldn't buy enough properties, in other words, because people were popping up and paying silly money for them. So we went, mm, okay, what do you do in that circumstance if you're a business? Well, what you do is you look for alternative directions in which you might travel to continue the momentum. And uh, I happened to uh, be uh, offered a building in... 2020 middle of 2020 june 2020 so we weren't far into the into the lockdowns and, and all the, the the trouble that we subsequently had and it was a retail building and it was right in the heart of uh, bristol for those of you who know bristol the old city uh, beautiful georgian building um uh, grade one and two star business buildings listed in and around it uh, high traffic area right in the heart of the city and uh, i got a it was an off-market deal got a call from the agent i think i've got one for you and i went to have a look at it and i went I saw it on Wednesday, I bought it on Friday. It was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And the reason I bought it is because although it was a retail building and an empty retail building that previously had a a uh, uh, a building society actually occupy the retail space. And how what happened in November, a bit unlucky for the vendor, I suppose, November 2019, the 17-year lease came to an end. And the building society said, sorry, we don't we don't need retail space anymore. And it was empty. They did it a little bit as to what they should do with it. Of course, March comes along, lockdown happens, and they panicked. Uh, what are we going to do? We've got an empty retail building. The offices above are empty. We've got n- no income coming in. We've got costs going out. What do we do? We've got to sell it. Um, and I was able to buy that building. So they paid 495000 for it 17 years ago. I paid 400000 for it in the middle of 2020. And that got me thinking, I went, hang on a minute, if the world is running from the high street, maybe there's value to be had in finding creative ways to repurpose these buildings that would add more value. So we put a lot of thought before we bought it, in the few days before we bought it, we thought, okay, we'll take our hospitality experience We'll take our uh, co-living experience, we'll effectively transform all of that, and we'll, what we will do is we'll convert the upper stories into an apart hotel, because um, that delivers higher density. This was the thinking. Um, uh, and if it's C1 class, so in other words, it's a commercial to commercial, effectively, offices in this case, to C1 apart hotel, we wouldn't have to worry about space standards. We could uh, deliver the density that we want to deliver that makes it economically viable and work. Um, and then what we're going to do with the retail space? Then we said, well, we'll re- revisit our original objective, which was co-working. So a combination of all of these, my thought, where all of these people who've been forced to work from home, who are now fed up tripping over dogs, cats, uh, wives, husbands, um, you know, working in cupboards, closets, and generally fed up with this, uh, what felt like an exciting and interesting thing to be doing, at least for a few months, now is a pain in the backside. And we'll want the, the other, pe- other human beings. You know, we are you know, social animals by our nature. So we thought if we are able to reinvent uh, retail premises on high streets, which are accessible to folk who just want a desk and to hang out with a bunch of folk a bit like them, then this is the right time for us to revisit co-working. And the Higgy Hub was born. So so in essence, what we have uh, conceived of at that point was we, I won't call them distressed assets, but, but good value um, retail buildings that others are scratching their heads wondering what to do with it. As they're running, we're going back towards it, um, acquire those assets and have a product to put into it. So the upper stories would be an apart hotel, studio-based, and then the uh, what would have been retail would be converted into these desk-based um, Higgy hubs, which are for uh, you know, local entrepreneurs, uh, well, anyone really, who, who wants to get out of the home and have a desk and a place from which to work that suits work 
um, would sit uh, underneath. Um, and that's how um, this sort of hybrid apart hotel co-working model. Anyway, literally a few weeks later, I got a call from another agent. Cardiff is another city we're interested in. And uh, I took control of another one, um, um, which is uh, well on its way. In fact, this month, we'll get planning permission for 16 lofts, studios and 45 desks. And it's right smack in the middle of Cardiff. It's 200 metres from the station, a couple of hundred metres from the new BBC headquarters. It's uh, in, right in front of uh, the St David's shopping centre. I mean, it's a perfect location. Um, and uh, we got a very good deal on the, on, the, on the asset when one considers what it will be worth when we do what we do with it. And then I got another call. So this is, this is how these things happen. Um, and uh, it was a, a, another agent of our friend of ours who in uh, who is operating in in Cardiff too, and uh, said, I think you need to come and talk to this individual, the owner of this building. He's just got planning permission to convert this hotel into three flats. I said, well, I'm not really interested in three flats. I mean, that's not that's not our thing really. He said, Oh, come along. He's an interesting guy. Have a chat with him anyway. Anyway, long story short, later uh, we took uh, purchase lease option on a seven bed seven bath boutique hotel in cardiff bay because it has a massive car park which is part of the deal upon which we think we can build a 21 bed aparto 21 unit apart hotel a 30 bed co uh working a 30 desk co-working unit and convert the original hotel into a 10 bed 10 bath co-living so we'll have our first hybrid co-living part hotel co-working all in one one physical site so 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 about and i'm going hang on a minute so it's really tough over here People are paying too much for these assets. And yet in this space, when we're talking about retail assets, uh, hotels, I'm finding um, real value because we have a product that we can put into these that makes them more valuable than they are at present. And that's effectively how our, our, our thinking evolved. And we then said, you know what? This is, needs to become our strategic direction. So that has so this whole uh, hospitality business you know, we've got five years experience doing it anyway. Um, reinventing retail, creating these extraordinary aparto, Higgy House apart hotels and co-working hybrid hubs on Britain's high streets has become our our strategic focus from for 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 for, for the, from this point forward. Yeah, yeah, it's so exciting. And uh, I just want to dig into some of the creativity, Luke. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur of so many years, you can can see the the way your brain works here. And you know, how did you go about restructuring? So, did you set Higgy Hubs as a as a separate company? You also mentioned purchase lease option there. So, for for anyone perhaps not familiar with that term, can you explain? You know, the the benefit of of using that. Um, one of the other things I learned through the Mastermind program, and in fact, I um, mean, in conversations with Kevin um, in in the early days, um, was uh, control assets. Don't you don't you you can control assets, and you don't have to own them. And so I can mitigate and manage risk um, by taking options on buildings subject to planning. So that's typically what we would do. We would normally not acquire an asset unless that asset very clearly. Um, uh, uh, we were allowed to do what we wanted to do with it. If we didn't, because it needed planning permission, then uh, we would uh, sign an option on the building to buy it subject to securing planning. So that's a very typical way for us to approach it. And that's just, uh, there's, there's one thing being driven and creative and, and, and wanting to grow, but there's also managing risk as you do it. So this is a way of, a, of, a, of doing that. We don't get caught with a building that we can't then do what we want to do with it and we're struggling to, to, to flip it on. So that's part. So that's a purchase option. So just the, the right to buy it, uh, but not the obligation if you achieve something. Now, um, the purchase lease option is where um, we are effectively not only um, taking 
the option to purchase it, but also operating the building. So in this particular case, we took on the hotel on a purchase lease option subject to planning, but also have taken a five-year lease on the building because that building is now being folded into our what we call our milestone events business, um, our groups of leisure, groups of young people on weekends. Um, and so we've just we, we're we're actually generating, in fact, it's, it's generating about five six thousand of net cash per month as an as an asset that we're actually operating as part of our business. In addition, we're going to use that capital to fund the planning permission, all the drawings and everything else that we're going to need. Once we get planning permission, we'll execute our option to buy it at the prices agreed at the beginning of the contract. That's effectively what a purchase lease option is. So it allows us to generate, um, and I did genuinely pay a pound, right? So it it is classically one of those, uh, buy a building for a pound, um, which is a consideration for the the lease lease contract. Uh, And so that's what that is. And so we will always use um, tools or techniques like that to control assets uh, for as little cash as possible and as low as risk as possible. But that's what those are. Mm. Now, let's come on to how you've used your pension. You mentioned this at the beginning. This was obviously the the first connection with uh, Wealth Builders and with Kevin, understanding that you have got a pension from previous life and you're now using that in property. So how how has, and you've created a SaaS pension, how has that you know allowed you to be even more creative and build more wealth, Luke? It, well, in the first instance, we did what everyone does. So we took half of it, loaned it to other developers, and we took half of it and did the loan back thing. So we've done, you know, we've done the, the sort of the, the basics, if you like. But what I actually realized as we started to shift our direction um, was that uh, with residential, as anyone knows, you've got SAS, you know, residential is challenging. There are there are uh, issues that surround it and risks that you're taking by definition. If you switch to commercial, and bear in mind what we're doing is now commercial to commercial. We're not doing commercial residential, we're doing commercial to commercial. Um, it means that um, a pension, um, your SaaS can own it directly, can own shares in it. There's a lot more flexibility to how you let, and you, 100% of your pension can be directed towards this effort. So what it's allowed me to do is to rethink how I'm using my own um, SaaS. And so, for example, um, with our uh, building in Clare Street, which is uh, three months away from completion, it'll have Upper stories will be a part hotel, and the Higgy hub below um, will uh, be title split. So we'll create two assets out of the one. And my pension is going to purchase the Higgy hub directly. So it will own the Higgy hub, but it will do it on a guaranteed rent from the operating company. So so, so now I've created, I bought an asset that's producing income. Um, I, uh, it will, uh, we're managing both sides as it happens because we're also the operating company as well. I've suddenly found a model that gives me tremendous amount of flexibility as to how, and with genuine, you know, with inside the rules as to how I help drive my own business. So I think, although we did everything that you're supposed to do early on, this feels to me like almost like an unleashing of the potential because now I'm not, there are no half measures I can use my pension while it follows by definition then so can our collaborators and joint venture partners can do the same thing so as long as we stick to our c1 which is the use class for uh apart hotels hotels effectively commercial and um you know it varies depending on which whether in wales or or, or england or scotland but uh the class e let's call it for, for for the uk for the office retail or commercial so so suddenly this billions of pounds locked up in folks' pensions with a lot of us sitting there going, hmm, what am I going to do with this to make a decent return, can be unlocked. And, that, and that's uh, really where SaaS comes to the fore for us now. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, Luke. 
So, you know, obviously you're a man who uh, who sets goals, has a vision. Uh, in the next five years, where would you, obviously you've got the target of 10,000. Um, you know, where do you see things in five years for yourself, Luke? Well, hopefully I'm, I'm well on five, uh, well on the way to 50% of my objective because it's 10,000 in 10 years. Um, uh, you know, I, I, who knows? I mean, it's the honest answer. I think the, the, the key thing is to be, identify a market segment in which you can operate, where you can make um, good and sensible returns that has legs, you know, you can see some of this, and then actively participate in it. If you'd have asked me three years ago, did I see ourselves reinventing the high street? And the answer was, well, no. So I think opportunities will emerge to take our model which is ultimately all about um, making better use of buildings and properties than are, is currently the case. So I suspect at the back of my mind is we will end up creating small space living that actually allows the people who can't afford to buy properties the ability to buy properties. So I, I see micro apartments and us shifting from uh, doing stuff that we rent to doing stuff that we actually sell, but creating product that allows what I would call the higgy in the middle, right? So the, the young person who's doing well enough not to need or be entitled to any governmental support, but not earning enough money to have accumulated much of a deposit to be able to buy anything. They're sort of stuck, you know, they're stuck. It's like, well, how can we create product um, or service or create a product for them? So I at the back of my mind, it's like, can we solve that problem of small micro apartments for sale to young people to get them on the ladders? Probably where you'll see us active in a few years' time. But who knows? There could be another uh, opportunity or problem that uh, pops up that we seek to solve. That's what keeps it exciting, isn't it? Indeed, it does. <laughs> oh, we love what you're doing, Luke. And uh, we're so, so pleased to have you share that with our listeners today. So thank you very much and all the best of luck. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take care. Okay, lots of uh, lessons there, I think, which we can uh, dissect and pull out, Kevin. But before we do that, let's head on over to Trustpilot and uh, scroll through some of our reviews from the last seven days. And uh, I'm going to read one out from Ranjit. And Ranjit says a huge thank you to Kevin Whelan, Paul Brooks, and the Empowered Wealth Builders teams for finally getting my old pension transferred into my new SaaS. It took four years doing, or I took four years doing my decision making, and they took less than six months. Hashtag excited, hashtag let's go shopping, hashtag property investor, and excited Ranjit there. Yeah, I'm not sure about the let's go shopping bit, <laughs> but, but Ranjit is such a funny guy. I love Ranjit. And yes, he did take a while to make his mind up. As, um, as Luke says, you know, there's people who are entrepreneurs with pensions often don't know what to do with them. They almost sit on the shelf like oh, uh, like a dirty puddle or a, you know a, a messy something in the background or just you know it's just a pain as he, I think he called it a pain in the backside, and and it is for most people. But um, in the end, I think with a good of a bit of cajoling on our part and uh, being inside the community, Ranji, who's just a uh, as I said a lovely guy and makes me laugh every time, um, and just the way he went a huge thank you. Um, just, he's a good guy. So I want to shout out to, to Ranjit. He knows who he is. And, um, you know, those people, if you're out there and you've got that little pile of mess of pensions in the background, in the corner, in a drawer, in a cupboard, get him out, have a look, get, you know, you, you can be surprised. I was speaking to one of my colleagues just this week and he said, he was talking to someone who said, oh no, I haven't got much. There's 167,000 pound, Chris. You know, we're not talking about tiny, tiny sums of money here. We're talking about money that people just forget, and you can bring that on the table. And Luke has done that in many ways. He's used his pension 
um, and created a SaaS and then turned that SaaS into, you know, different ways to connect with people, but then ultimately he's used it extraordinarily well um, in his business to generate not just ownership of an asset, but the rental of an asset and the operating of an asset. So he's leveraged his pensions three ways in one, three ROIs out of one. You can't do that with conventional pensions, which is why I suppose, you know, I always get excited about pensions and like to talk to people about using them rather than forgetting them and consigning them to that drawer somewhere in a filing cabinet. Yeah. Well, let's press pause just for a second, Kevin, because I want to let people know a date for their diaries. We have got our next webinar coming up, our live webinar, where we'll be walking through the recurring revenue roadmap and our process that helps our members move from financial insecurity to financial independence. And that date is Wednesday, the 9th of February. So we will be sharing the link for that, but make sure you put that date in your diary now. That will be in the evening around 7.30 p.m. till around 9 o'clock. So uh, we're looking forward to that, Kevin. We're looking forward to being present, bringing in some of our existing members and just sharing our process so people can really see that on screen. If they've been listening to the podcast, it really helps to see the visuals, to see the roadmap, to bring everything to life. Mm, And to meet us as well, you know, which is just as important because, you know, we forever trying to do our best. And I think Luke did a great job, didn't he, where he said, you know, what are we doing every month to manage and exceed the expectations of our customers? And and we're the same, aren't we? And I know you've got that or something similar written on uh, where you work, operate there down in uh, Wimbledon, Chris. And um, I'm, I'm always impressed with that thought that we we obsess, don't we, about trying to help people become financially independent. And some people like to listen and just like Ranjit, you know, consume some stuff on the outside for a little while. But, um, you know, sometimes it's time for action. And um, there's no better way to do that than to get an accelerated uh you know, journey to get a shortcut, an intellectual shortcut, a social shortcut that helps you do the job better. And and, and Luke is the same. So I met Luke directly through uh, my connection with Simon Zucci, who's, um, you know, the owner of the the PIN, the Property Investor Network. And um, he invites me, he's a, a SaaS client as well, actually, and a very good friend now. And he invites me to speak to his masterminders, usually around month eight, month nine, something like that in their 12 months, just to talk about bringing their pension into play. Um, and just as importantly, learning how to become investable so other people can invest and help you continue your journey. Because most people, certainly in property as an asset, uh, run out of money before they run out of ambition, Chris. And so you've got to learn the skill and master that skill of being able to create a brand that attracts people and then in the end attracts investors. And that, that's creating IP, uh, which is another asset. And certainly, well, Higgy House have done that, haven't they? And uh, joint ventures and collaborations, which again is another point of acceleration for Luke. So when you started the intro saying we're talking about property today, I think actually probably Luke has given us an able demonstration of Every single pillar in action, you know, all seven are in action there from the home capacity at the beginning of his journey to the use of the pension to learning about property. And I'm I'm sure you want to pull out the point about education, Chris, because even though a super uh, successful businessman, he didn't think he knew it all. He took the step to get full on education. and, And he said, I got curious enough to say, yeah, there's enough in this for me to want to invest. So. Um, he's then gone into 
the business of creating the brand. He's joint ventured. He's done IP, you know, and he's making investments for others. So while he's not an investor necessarily himself in the market or markets, I think that's six pillars he's using, but he's creating a seventh for other people. So a really good demonstration of how the pillars work uh, in every conceivable combination and uh, I think Luke Abley demonstrated that today, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, another key uh, element of the wealth building process that we teach is the wheel of wealth. And that's step seven in our nine step process. We'll be going through that on the webinar on the 9th of February. But uh, the wheel of wealth, it begins with education. And um, interestingly enough, because we talk about the journey taking approximately five years on average for people to, you know, to go from insecurity to independence. And it was back in 2017 that Luke really started on the property uh, journey and, and turning the wheel for the first time and beginning with that education, which was simply picking up a copy of Simon Zucci's book, you know, beginning really simple, uh, you know, ten pounds for the price of a book, um, but turning that wheel, and it is around about five years now. You know, and uh, obviously Luke's, you know, built tremendous wealth, and uh, you know, has done a lot more than turn one wheel. But uh, but it all begins with that first wheel turn. Yeah, there's all. It's always about little steps, and and I think what you can hear from Luke is then you asked him the question about where does he see himself, say, in five years, and he'd given the the vision of the business, which was quite clear, wasn't it? Ten thousand units in ten years, and you can hear his values, you know, so you've got, you hear the clarity of his vision and values, but they, they didn't happen in 2017. You know, he didn't know what he was going to do that. He just knew he had a brain that thought about being a value creator, uh, adding value in the world and then finding a way to get a reasonable return out of that. And I think that's important to recognize that whatever you've done in the past, if you're building your wealth and you're, you're, you're sat there now or you're riding or you're walking or running, and you're thinking, you know, well, I haven't done anything. Well, you've always done something that you can bring as leverage to the table. And that's the intellectual leverage. So we talk about leverage, don't we, Chris, on the roadmap and the financial intellectual relations systems and time leverage. And um, we've definitely got an intellectual leverage being brought, which is that entrepreneur's brain. You know, how do I create value? How do I add value? Um, building a brand. And that's what I want to do because I've built brands. Well, what have you done? Have you been great at customer service? Have you been great at something? Have you been told or patted on the back? Have you had a review? Have you had an award? Or do you know deep down you're just bloody good at some things and just focus on the things you're good at? Um, and there's a pathway then to use that intellectual leverage to make your wealth go more quickly, more enjoyably, and in the end, more safely. I don't think Luke feels he's at risk, does he? I think, is Luke going to hit 10,000? units in in uh, in 10 years well it doesn't matter if he does for me because he's financially independent as a result of that so that's you know he wants to do more but financial independence is probably way way ahead of that and for most people you know their vision is an important part of you know understanding that even if it's just get to security first their name towards independence but at the beginning as we encourage all of our new members, Chris, when they join us, is take the little steps because when you take steps, you're moving. And when you're moving, the picture changes. And when the picture changes, you meet new people, you see new things, you make new distinctions. And you never know when that one opportunity, when that one idea, when that one relationship is going to make a difference. And that's the fun. And you can hear that. You could hear the curiosity and the fascination 
in uh, and Luke's voice and you can hear it hopefully in yours and in mine. And if you've got that in yourself, you know, make a decision. Just don't decide whether you're going to join the program or not. That's not the important thing to us. Just decide to show up, you know, turn up on the webinar, just come and say hello, come and see what we do and just evaluate that. If it's something you want to do, great. If it's something you don't want to do, great. You know, we're happy either way because we're going to continue to serve you in whichever way we can. Yeah, and just coming back to Luke's vision there, and, um, you know, we always talk about independence being the target for most people, Kevin, but, of course, there's two levels beyond independence in our model of the five levels of wealth. We've got financial insecurity, level one at the bottom there, then financial security, which is just making sure you're locking in enough to cover all of your essential outgoings every month. That's the first stage for most people to, to get to. Then, then it's independence, which is having enough money to do really whatever you want. So living a life without compromise. But beyond independence is then abundance. And that's when you start not to think about what you need so much, but what you want to do in terms of impact for the world. And, and you can hear Luke transitioning now into that, can't you, with you know, his mission of helping other people. Yes. And you know, I, I just love when, it, when people get to that. I mean, we've had, apart from Luke this week, we've had, I've had two of the uh, conversations this week. I think one we saw together, didn't we, when we had a meeting this week, Chris, you know, um, an organization called Cornerstone really focused on uh, doing their best to 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 help eliminate the problem of homelessness in the UK. That's a big old task, isn't it? Crumbs. You know, but the number of beds, the number of bed nights, the number of things that they're doing, um, not making profit, you know, to do that, but using some of the profits to do that. Is it just you know blows me away? And another gentleman, one of our members, um, Javier, uh, he, you know, he's not he's financially independent now, but he doesn't do so for himself. He gives away, you know, so much of his money into things that will lead to charitable uh, things that is important to him. So you can see that the the legacy piece is not about family in his case, but it's about the gift that he's leaving to society. And, and I'm so impressed with him and I want to support him as well. So, you know, I'm often just enthused by what other people are fascinated by and want to do whatever we can do at Wealth Builders to help support that. So definitely in the homelessness thing, definitely in the empowering, in his case, Javier's case, um, younger uh, guys and girls in their sort of, you know, who perhaps haven't done as well in education. They've come from uh, poorer backgrounds. And they don't really get a head start in life. And he wants to give them that head start. So I applaud him for that. So whether he's listening or not, we know that our members are doing great things. Yes. And uh, an, another example from Luke of his entrepreneurial thinking. Um, and I think this is maybe a Warren Buffett quote, Kevin, you probably can correct me, but it's observe what the masses are doing and then do the opposite. And uh, that's kind of what Luke did with the high street or has done is kind of seeing everyone exiting retail and the high street becoming a bit more deserted. And then actually looking at the opportunities there and seeing that people are now wanting local workspace. And, uh, and that's obviously where he's now moving into. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, you've got to look at the market. I think he said the overheated nature of the market. People, what did he say? They were they were outbidding the value of the asset way more than it's really worth. And, and that's one of the dangers of not following the wheel of wealth, isn't it? That, um, And we heard from Mark Stokes uh, recently, didn't we, where he said, you make your money from property in one of our mastermind sessions, actually. I don't think it was in the podcast, Chris. Uh, you make your money in property when you buy the property. And so therefore you have to ruthlessly work backwards from the end to say, right, now I understand all of the ingredients in this property. 
what can I afford to pay for this property and still make the profit that I want to make? And and if it's if the price is more than that, you simply walk away. Yet we see so much evidence out there um, of people kind of getting emotionally attached to the value of property or they like the property or they get frustrated with themselves because they're making offers that are not accepted. So So they end up making offers just to get one accepted which is really not the way to build wealth. And um, when markets get overheated, you have to think about that. And what Lucas has done is thought about that very carefully and said, well, I think there's value here in the same way. Do you remember he said he was talking to his kids originally about what's the gap and find the gap or find the niche, as I would call it. And then once you found your niche, be outstanding in your niche. Don't be mediocre in your niche. Don't just do what other people do. You know, that's what kind of happens in work life, doesn't it? Most people get a job and then they're okay in their job or most people get a business and they're okay in their business. But to be outstanding in your niche as as we aspire to be in ours uh, is what makes the real difference because you're focusing continually on, on adding value. And in Luke's case, you know, if you get a great niche, you get recurring income and now he's got that well enough established that he's attracting inward investments that's helping, helping him scale then, um, you know, that's a recipe for success, you know. So uh, I was always impressed with Luke. I've always enjoyed uh, meeting him. But we meet so many nice people along our journey, Chris, and we hope we'll meet more on the 9th and hopefully get the chance to impact some of those people just as if we've impacted the, the life in some small way. Don't take, don't take a lot of credit for this, but uh, uh, we are helping Luke and we continue to want to serve him. Yes. I'll just correct myself on that quote. It was actually from Earl Nightingale. I just uh, checked that online. So watch what everyone else does. Do the opposite. The majority is always wrong is what he said. Um, and final word then on SaaS, because, you know, for some people, SaaS might be a bit technical, you know, don't obviously fully understand, uh, you know, what a SaaS pension can allow you to do. And, and Luke went into some detail, but maybe you can just sort of simplify some of the, the benefits of how Luke has been able to leverage his pension there. Well, yeah, in simple terms, you know, rather than get technical, because I think the technical nature of, of anything can can put people off and we don't want people to prejudge it. The the whole idea behind SaaS is, is leverage. It's wealth building in the end, Chris, is always about looking at assets and, and how to optimize the value and the income stream that flows from those assets. You know, we're always looking at two things. How do you increase value? Um and how do you increase cash flow? Because that's the two measures, right? Your net worth is increasing and your cash flow that you can spend, the recurring income is increasing. Now, for most people, their pension is just parked, you know, and the real wealth has been created by the institutions because they stick a siphon in the in the pension and say, well, we're going to take one and a half, two 2% of the value of your money out. And there's nothing you can do about it. And there's nothing you can do to add value. And there's nothing you can do to be creative or to really change your wealth. And we think there's a challenge there. It's not saying it's right for everybody, but for most people, particularly if they become entrepreneurs, they can take control of that pension and say, you know, I don't want to pay those fees. I want to essentially be the legal owner and operator, like a driver of their own vehicle. And then they can take that vehicle um, and help them on the journey they want to go on. And so many of our uh, clients do that and, obviously with property, uh, and easy, uh, much easier with um, commercial property than residential properties, Luke uh, talked about very briefly. And uh, so we we run masterminds on this. We've 
We certainly have videos on that if anybody wants to watch um, me talk about SaaS and me talk about how you can use it. You know, we've got lots of free resources. Where would people go to get that kind of thing, uh, Chris, if they want to see them? Yeah, definitely. Um, free membership is the best place. So if uh, you, you know, you're not already on the Wealth Builders uh, mailing list, so you'd, you're not getting emails from us uh, with updates of our webinars and our latest episodes, uh, head to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash membership. And uh, yeah, you can get access to those videos, our eBooks, and uh, lots more free resources inside the free membership area. Yeah, and just to make a point that um, in the free membership area, look, we're, uh, I mentioned earlier on, we obsess about what we do. We give, give, give value. All we want from you is an email address, right, so that we can be in contact with you so that at some point, one of the things I believe is just like Ranjit, you know, it took him four years to make a decision. And I'll tease him about that. But, but in the end, he made the decision. There's always a catalyst, you know, something that needs to nudge you to get you to take action. And by being willing to accept that we might send you some things, but they're always well-intended. They're always uh, trying to drive value so you can do something yourself. And then uh, if necessary, we can help you on certain things. But just accept that we would like an email from you in order to welcome you into our free membership. If you just put your name in there and don't give us your email, I'm afraid we can't welcome you in. It's a fair exchange, I think for you to give a little of what you've got, for us to give a lot of what we've got. Um, And I've said on that, Chris. Okay, good. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up everything for today's episode. Uh, We hope you enjoyed listening. Hope you uh, learned something new today. And if you enjoyed it and uh, you'd like to just leave a review, maybe we'll give you a shout out in one of the forthcoming episodes. And you can head to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash reviews. And uh, that will take you to Google reviews or Trustpilot and uh, any, anywhere is, is good for us, Kevin, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's, it's a constant vindication for us, Chris, that we're on the right track. I mean, if you're like Luke, if you're trying to provide value, you need the feedback to know you're providing it. And the only way we get it is um, not just our members, you know, who, who you know, do pay us for the support they get, but they get more than that back uh, to the tune of, you know, many, many fold. We know that. But for those who... Um, can just say they're liking it or they're getting an enjoyment from it or they learn something from it. So take a moment and give a gift of nudging somebody else and say, hey, this is a good podcast, have a listen, or just post a review. Um, takes 30 seconds to you know just, just do that. So if you could do that, we'd be grateful and we'll read that out. And one day maybe we'll, we'll, we'll give some free um, memberships away, Chris, for, for good reviewers and so on. But uh, more of that on another day. Yeah, I tell you what, actually, I just spotted this week, Kevin, I'm not sure how long it's been there, but for our Spotify listeners, uh, you can now rate a podcast on Spotify. So uh, if you are listening on Spotify, just head to the Wealth Talk kind of homepage um, or, you know, where, where you would search for that and uh, just click on the three dots and then that will allow you to rate the podcast. So, um, yeah, if you want to give us a rating, that would be really appreciated. Cool. All right, Chris, thanks, thanks for hosting. You did a great job today. and. Um as as always, I appreciate you know that you do all the the legwork, and then we work together to sort of pull out the lessons, don't we? Yeah, all good. Well, we'll catch up same place, same time next week. <laughs> Till then, my friend. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build, and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. 
That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.